Good morning. It is a joy to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Wayne Smith. I, am, I serve here at Pathway Church through our school, Masters Academy. Uh, we are a pre-K 3 through 12th grade school, and we meet right here on this campus. Uh, God has blessed us uh, beyond what we deserve. He always does, right? Uh, several of our classes are full, but some of them have some spots open. So if you know anyone who has a child uh, looking for a Christian education, we invite them to invite you to direct them to us. Um, this is only the third time I've been in church here the whole summer. That's not good. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there is a little girl about this big, and my wife and I have joined the club of grandparents. Yeah, praise the Lord. And uh, she is in Tampa. So between my wife and I traveling on vacation, uh, getting over surgery, and the pull of the granddaughter, I haven't been here very often. Uh, but it's good to be here, and I praise the Lord for that. Uh, it's an honor to be on this side of the room, and it's an, it's an honor also to kick off this brand new series on kingdom living, uh, taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, 111 verses, uh, and Jesus raises the bar <laughs> in the sermon, and he raises it to the point where at times we might be thinking, really, seriously, you want us to do that? Uh, yes. Um, Israel at the time was, was, was in chaos. It was uncertain, just as the video said. Uh, Palestine had been occupied by Romans for about 90 years. Uh, life was hard. Some of those Jews had sided with the um, Romans. Uh, some of them were on the opposite side and joined little militias and making the occupation of the Romans difficult. But right in the middle is this huge group of, of Jews who just want to get on with life. They're oppressed. It's hard, it's difficult, there's religious standards that are unreasonable, and here comes a man from Nazareth. It's probably just a couple of months into his ministry. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2 deal with his birth. Uh, chapter 3 and 4 deal with his baptism, temptation, calling of a few of his disciples, not all of them yet, and crowds start following Jesus. And they're looking for a message of hope. Some of them want a message of, well, let's take on the Romans. Let's set up a new kingdom. Let's get an army together. And what they get is meek Jesus, offering messages of forgiveness, uh, repentance, generosity, mercy. They don't get a general. <laughs> uh, they don't get a call to protest. What they get is a sermon that as that message said, if we would take to heart, it would not only change our lives, but it would change the world as God works through us. So that's where, where we are this morning. We will look at the first 12 verses, and over the next several weeks, we will uh, unpack, or Pastor Brown will unpack um, the rest of the sermon. So if you're following in your Bible, or you can look at the screen. We are going to pick up the sermon in Matthew chapter, well, we're going to pick up the passage in Matthew chapter 4 and read a few introductory verses before we get into the actual sermon. Matthew 4 verse 23. 
uh, and he, talking about Jesus, went throughout, of, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him. And then Matthew starts the sermon. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the first 12 verses that we will look at this morning deal with blessings. There is eight of them. We call them the Beatitudes. The, the word Beatitude just means blessing. And in these Beatitudes, Jesus is telling us how we can be blessed. And if you think you're blessed, well, you can be more blessed. Um, I, I, I had a doctor's visit just a couple of days ago. I stood on the scale, and man, the needle went up. All of the summer living. <laughs> Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I really, I really need to move that needle. So pray for me. I need to lose about 30 pounds. Um, but there's things in our lives, honestly, that we can move the needle, right? When it comes to character, when, uh, when it comes to how we respond to people, when it comes to conflict, with God's help, with him working in us, with his power, we can move that needle, and in the first 12 verses, Jesus is telling us, blessed you are if you do this, blessed if you do this, blessed if you do the other thing. And these are counterculture. They go against what the norm for that day and age would have been. It would go against what we would expect today. And so as I was researching the sermon, I came up with what somebody wrote, and I've kind of tweaked this. Beatitudes of their own if they had to write their own Beatitudes. And you might be able to, or you might agree that you might write some Beatitudes just like this too. So these are common day secular Beatitudes. Blessed are the strong. Blessed are the triumphant. Blessed are the well-educated and the smart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after success, for they shall reach the top. Blessed are those who get what they want. Blessed are the assertive. Blessed are those who consider personal liberties more important than religious virtue. Yeah, that one stings, doesn't it? Blessed are they who can win good arguments. And maybe there's some truth to some of those. But Jesus flips the scale. He turns that around. And he actually says, blessed are you. And he mentions some things that we might think, well, that's kind of negative. Well, that's not a very popular thing that you would tell me that if I would do this, I would be blessed. But this is kingdom living. This is living our lives in the 21st century in a world that needs a message of hope and peace and redemption and that's exactly what Jesus delivers. That's exactly what the sermon is about. And I trust that as we go through this this morning and as we go through it over the next several months, that God will work in us to really move that needle in our lives that we know kind of needs to be moved in certain areas. So with that said, let's pick up the uh, sermon, Matthew chapter 5. 
I'm going to read through verse 1 through 12, and then we will look at each of those Beatitudes one at a time. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hmm. That's a lot to think about. All right, so let's go through those Beatitudes. The first one, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The flip side of this is pride. And I think the devil can use pride so easily uh, to get into us, to get us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. And I'm not talking about not having a good self-esteem. We ought to think correctly about ourselves and we ought to love ourselves. That's a commandment. But this poor in spirit is recognizing that next to God, I am nothing. Recognizing my need for God, recognizing that spiritually I am in a poor, bankrupt state. The standard of positivity in the world today is assertive, self-help, uh, push ahead, be self-sufficient. Again, in measured doses, that's okay. But Jesus actually flips that around and he said, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you recognize that you have need. Blessed are you if you recognize that spiritually you're not where you ought to be. We, we tend to think that the poor are those who don't have enough physical resources. In this context, it's those who don't have enough spiritual resources. Poor in spirit refers to spiritual condition. Um, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of two men who go to the temple, and one was kind of proud, puffed up. He was a religious leader, and he says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like the sinner over there. Uh, and then the story switches to this other person who's praying, and they're downcast, and they said, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And Jesus says, this man who was poor in spirit is the one who's blessed, who's who's righteous. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> That's good. Thinking of someone else before ourselves. Recognizing that we need Christ. Recognizing that God is the one who blesses and gives and equips Samuel Morse, the inventor of the telegraph, was a godly man and he received all kinds of praises and accolades. And one day he said, I have made a valuable application of electricity. And yes, he, he did. 
He says, not because I was superior to other men, but because God chose to reveal it to me. What a humble spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The second beatitude goes along with the first one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Have you ever had somebody come to you and they've apologized for something they've done wrong to you and you walk away thinking, they've made me feel worse. And there's this, there's this little twist in the apology that's not really an apology. It's kind of in like an accusation. Uh, there isn't really a deep sense of mourning for the wrong. But then there's other times where somebody comes and apologizes for something and you can just tell that their heart is broken. That they're truly, truly repentant. This is what Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, not mourning over a dead loved one, but blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Blessed are those who recognize that they are a sinful creature. They've done something wrong. They've stepped out of line and they recognize it. The Holy Spirit has prompted them and their heart is contrite. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And 1 John 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who confess their sin. Blessed are those who don't just excuse it shrug it away, sweep it under the rug, who, who, are, who are brave enough, willing enough to mourn over their sin. The challenge for us is there's something you need to mourn over. <laughs> it sounds kind of negative, isn't it? But, but is there something that, that you just need to recognize that you're wrong and, 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 and maybe even ask the Lord, Lord, help me to recognize that what I've done is wrong. And, and give me a path to repentance and freedom and release. I have a pastor friend who preached a sermon years and years ago. I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll never forget his, his, his three R outline. Repent, restitution, and release. Repenting is this mourning for our sin. We come to God and we, we just pour our heart to him. Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. Restitution is when you go to someone else who, you, who you've sinned against and in a humble spirit, no, no uh, arrogance, no excusing, in a humble spirit, forgive me. I said that thing I shouldn't have. I did this thing I shouldn't have. I took this from you and I'm giving it back. Restitution. And then the third R is release. Have you experienced the spiritual release from God? What a wonderful experience that is. When we know we've done something wrong, we take it to God and He forgives us and His Spirit communicates with our spirit that you're now forgiven. Oh, what a joy that is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Beatitude number three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Again, this is kind of counterculture. Uh, blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness, right? 
Meekness is not weakness. In fact, I think meekness is a strength. Being recognizing that you're poor in spirit is a strength. Recognizing that you need to mourn over something that you've done wrong is a strength. And Jesus in this beatitude says, blessed are the meek. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word meek as quiet and gentle. For some people, it's impossible to be quiet. I mean, even now you're struggling. <laughs> oh, we have, we have a group of students, they're sixth graders. Mm. And uh, I actually have them in seventh period because I'm teaching an elective. And it is impossible for some of those kids to keep quiet. <laughs> oh, sometimes the Spirit of the Lord needs to help us <laughs> to be quiet, to be meek. Blessed are the meek. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines meek as gentle, not easily provoked or irritated. That's another discipline that we need to cultivate as Christians. Sometimes it's easy just to fly off and respond and retaliate. Meekness is this ability to just respond appropriately. Some people talk, refer to meekness as controlled strength. I told you about my grandbaby. She's, she'll be 10 months old this week. And I'm looking forward to maybe not too far in the distant future, me wrestling with her. But I'm six foot three, 200 and some pounds. And, 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 and I'm going to have to have strength that's controlled. Uh, my son is uh, about six foot two. There's no way that I can pin him down in a wrestling match. There was a time when I could, but that's strength under control. And when God is working in our lives, when we're allowing God to captivate our spirit, we can be meek, right? We can, uh, we can control that strength. Uh, we, can control, we, can, uh, we can control the desire to just speak out and allow him to teach us what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek. Fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's so much mess in this world. There are so many traps that the devil can set for us to get into and ruin our lives. A little lie at the office to save a contract, maybe pressure from your boss, tell the client this that you know is not true, a little deception at home just to save face, a deliberate miscalculation on the taxes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I am, I am not a saint. Please, I'm going to share a story. And I'm not a saint. I mess up. Last night, uh, my wife and daughter and son-in-law were at a restaurant. And the bill came. And the waitress made a mistake. She charged us for two sodas and not four. Uh, I want to live a righteous life. Imperfect as I am. My immediate response, ma'am, you made a mistake. You... You charge us for two sodas, you should have charged us for four. Um, God help us to, on the small little things, 
to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because we know in the business world, in relationships, in family, the big stuff is going to come. And if, and, and if we're not allowing God to help us get victory over the small little things, like a, like, like a mistake on a bill, how are, how are we going to manage those big things when they come to us? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. If, if you don't think that you have a hungering for righteousness, pray and ask, ask God for it. Lord, give me the sense of a hunger to do what's right, to live by what um, is, is um, needed and necessary. Uh, David in Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This desire to, uh, to pursue and want righteousness John records a story that happened um, in Jesus' life. It's recorded in John chapter 4. Jesus uh, meets a woman at a well, and this woman, we don't know her age. We kind of guess she might be around middle age, maybe a bit past middle age. But she's gone through a whole line of relationships that, been, that have been a disaster. She's busy in a um, relationship that's not going well. And, um, and, and Jesus recognizes that she's thirsty and she's thirsting and trying to satisfy the thirst in, in uh, wrong areas. And Jesus says to her, if you will drink from me, you'll never be thirsty. Oh, pray. Pray for that. Lord, fill me. Fill me so that I will not thirst after the things of the world. That I will not hunger after the things of the world. Help me to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, or they will receive mercy. The words grace and mercy are used inter, interchangeably. Grace means undeserved favor. When, uh, when we receive something that we do not deserve, that's grace. We did not deserve God's forgiveness, right? That's grace. In fact, we deserve punishment and when we don't receive something that we do deserve, like punishment, that's mercy. Grace and mercy. How much grace and mercy has God shown you? How much grace and mercy has God shown me? There's a story recorded in Matthew chapter 18 where there was a servant and he owed his master a huge amount of money. In today's currency, it might have been in the millions. He owed, he owed his master a huge sum of money. And the master said to him one day, you need to pay up. And the master pleaded with him, please, I cannot. Uh, I beg of you. And the master had pity on him and said, okay, your debt is forgiven. And the servant goes out to a friend of his that owed him just a couple of pennies and demanded payment. And if you don't pay, in fact, he could, he, could, he could get put in prison. He could be enslaved or become an a, uh, indentured laborer. And, and uh, Jesus, sharing this parable, says that servant lacked mercy. That servant was a wicked, wicked servant. Is there somebody that you need to show mercy to? 
Is this something that, that in their lives could actually move the needle? Is this something that God could use your, your act of mercy to them, could draw them closer to Christ? Have you been shown mercy? Is there someone that you can show mercy to? Too often we hold tightly to wrongs and we want justice and we want justice the way that we want justice. And sometimes God is saying, just let it go and be merciful. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. According to the law, according to Scripture, she deserved punishment. And there were those around her holding rocks, let's, let's punish her. And Jesus could have said, okay, the law demands it, let's satisfy the law, punish her. And instead, Jesus tells them, if you have never sinned, then you throw that first stone. And I'm sure you could hear the thud of those rocks dropping. And Jesus says to the woman, he doesn't excuse the sin. He doesn't tell the woman, well, it's okay, carry on. He says, no, he says, go and sin no more, because I don't condemn you. Hasn't he done that to us? Hasn't, hasn't he done that for us? over and over and over again. Jesus says in this beatitude, blessed are the merciful. Show someone mercy who might deserve something else, but show them mercy. For you shall receive mercy. Beatitude number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A pure in heart is somebody that's in there, that has a sincere, selfless love for God and others. It's important to note, excuse me, that it's impossible for us to live out these in our own strength. We need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to live these out. And, 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 and there is nothing that you and I can do to make our hearts pure. There is no ritual. There's no amount of church, there's no amount of worship, there's no amount of giving. It's Christ working in us to purify our hearts. But what we need to do is we, is we need to recognize that lack of purity and we need to avail ourselves of God's work. Uh, rather than get drawn into life and decisions and lifestyles that are contrary to God's word, God says, blessed are the pure in heart. David, another example, um, the king riding, riding the wave of success, uh, going into battle, battle after battle, God, God is giving Israel victory, and things are going great for, uh, great for David. One night he's on the roof of his castle, and he looks out, and there's a woman bathing in a nearby building. And he looks long enough. <laughs> uh, men, the first look is a look of chance, Right? Second look is a look of flesh. And so David looks long enough and he notes the woman's beautiful. He sends word about her and he gets a message back that this is, this is the wife of Uriah. One of your generals, David. One of, one, of, one of your guys that's out there on the battlefield fighting. So David sends for her. They spend the night together. A few weeks later he gets a message that I'm pregnant. Rather than David listening to that godly conviction inside of him rather than him exercising 
a pure spirit rather than him stopping this downward trend. He just keeps on going down and he makes bad decision after bad decision and it ends in death and deceit. Goes on for several months, maybe even about a year. And eventually David recognizes, he mourns for his sin, he recognizes his poor spiritual state, he confesses his sin, God forgives him of his sin. There's still social consequences for, for his sin. And then he writes these words in Psalm 51. David writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think the NIV says, Create in me a pure heart. Folks, there isn't any path that's so dark, that's so deep in sin, that you cannot, with God's help, come out of it. And this prayer, yeah, what a wonderful prayer. I would encourage you to write it down, put it on your fridge, put it as a bookmark in your uh, book, maybe even a screensaver, create in me a pure heart. My wife and I have a home, and there's a shed beyond our home, and, um, and we just discovered recently that termites had infested the shed. Uh, and there's a post right next to the door that if I push hard enough, my finger will go right through it. <laughs> it's a two by four post that has just been eaten, just been devastated by termites. It's not just one termite, right? But it started with one. One termite got in there and nibbled away and it tasted good. And then another one. And then another one. Until eventually the whole post is rotten. It just takes one little slip. One little, one little moment of lack of self-control. One little moment where you see something and you shouldn't. And you turn away or you don't turn away. Or one little conversation that you shouldn't have. And before we know it, it's rotten. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. As, as, as difficult as life gets sometimes, as complicated as it gets, as heavy those temptations come, Christ in you can help you to have a pure heart. Amen? Create in me a pure heart. Seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as I was researching the sermon and working on it, I was tempted to spend a lot of time on this one. Because honestly, historically, we as Christians have done a lousy job at being peacemakers. We know it. We know it that there has been times when we've been in a conflict with someone that if we had just said, stop, even if it's just to ourselves, stop. Let's not continue the feud. Let's walk away. But instead, there's this thing about human nature that we want to have the last word. We want to win the argument. We want to be heard. We want to be right. And the feud just continues. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Is there a situation in your life, your home, your office, your neighborhood, where you can be the peacemaker? 
rather than the fuel that keeps the feud going. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. James 3 verse 18 says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So how can we be peacemakers? In a world that's difficult, <laughs> in a world that's fast-paced sometimes, how can we be peacemakers? Romans 12 verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Sometimes we just need to walk away. Sometimes we just need to forgive. Sometimes we need to extend mercy or grace. And sometimes, in fact, here is, here is an excellent way to be a peacemaker. And I actually shared this in a sermon here at this church maybe three or four years ago, but it was in a different context. An excellent way that you can be a peacemaker is this. Right? And keeping your mouth shut isn't weakness. That's strength under control. But sometimes we just have to have that last word. We just have to keep going. Just keep quiet. Do Christians have to be heard? If you preach in the gospel in a gracious verbal way, then yes. If you're in an argument with someone, Sometimes the, the, the most mature, sensible thing, folks, is just to be quiet. Blessed are the peacemakers. Stephen uh, Covey is the author of that great book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And Stephen Covey says this, understand before being understood. That is an, an, an excellent principle for life for management, for parenting and relationships, our tendency is that we want to be understood. And to be understood, you must listen to me. To be understood, I must speak. And Covey says, understand first. Find out why. Ask questions. As calmly, as gracefully as you can, understand before being understood. Blessed are the peacemakers. The last beatitude Maybe the most shocking of them all. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Jews knew exactly what it was like to be persecuted. Some of them sitting in the crowd might be thinking, seriously? You're saying I'm blessed because I'm persecuted? First Peter 3.15, it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Oh, I love that verse. If you're pressured to make that lie in the office and you say no, and you lose your job because of it, rejoice. If there is a temptation going on in a little group, friends, family, and you know it's wrong and it's going to drag you down some path you shouldn't go, and you say and you get ostracized, Rejoice. I know it's easy to say that. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses chose to suffer with God's people 
rather than to experience the joys of sin. Jesus, Jesus goes on in this sermon, Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they, persecu they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You and I can move that needle in so many areas. And we know, and God's working on us, and God's telling us, Wayne, you need to cut out the rich food. Stop eating the candy. Chocolate. Milk chocolate's my weakness. Not dark, milk. <laughs> but seriously, that, that spiritual thing in your life where you know that that needle is not where it should be, that relationship, that tension going on, that little thing that you keep to yourself or that thing that somebody did to you that you're so bitter about, Christ in you can help you move that. Blessed are those who mourn, who are poor, who offer mercy, who are peacemakers. One of or the most preached parable in the New Testament is the parable of the prodigal son. And we know that story so well. The prodigal son, the son wanted his share of the family's wealth before the right time, and he pressured the father. Maybe there was an argument going on. We don't know how, how, how long that extended for. Eventually, the father gave in and said, okay, here is your part of the family wealth, and the son went off and he squandered it, wasted it on sinful living. And he eventually came to that point in his life where he recognized he was poor in spirit, he recognized that he, that, uh, that he was mourning because of his sin, and he uh, decided that he would go back home. And what does the father do? Does he, does he lecture him? I told you so, you bad, wicked son. No. There's this welcome, this mercy, this grace. And on the sideline, there's another son who's lacking mercy, who's actually mad <laughs> that, this, that, that, that this other son is back, that the father's showing him grace and mercy. And this son wanted to keep the family feud going. But the father just offers grace and mercy. Uh, Billy Graham, the well-known preacher, evangelist, passed away a few years ago. His uh, one daughter, Ruth, made some bad choices in life. She was in her, I believe, her 40s, 21 years into marriage. Her marriage ended. She became a single mom. She met some guy within a couple of weeks. They were, in, they were engaged, getting married. Um, and Billy Graham and his wife called, called her and said, you know, shouldn't you slow down? Shouldn't you kind of ease, hit the brakes? We haven't even met the guy. And, and she, her uh, response was, well, I'm a single mom, um, and I'm an adult woman, and I know what I'm doing. And Ruth actually says the day she got married, she realized it was a mistake. The relationship did it did not last very, uh, very uh, long. And she found herself between places and her heart was broken and she called her dad and said, 
and he invited her home for a while to their house. And she actually says as she was driving there, which was a several hours, as she was driving to her parents' house, she was wondering what that reception would be like. Would her preacher, evangelist father, give her a lecture, tell her, I told you so. And as she gets out of her car, Billy Graham comes out the house and says two words, welcome home. Grace. Mercy. God has said that to you, I trust. If he hasn't, today he can. But most of us here, we've already received the grace and mercy from the Lord. And he's challenging us. Be agents of my grace and mercy. Recognize that you're poor in spirit. Recognize that you need to mourn for your sin. Be a peacemaker and show mercy. So let's wrap this up. Next step questions. What are you hungering for? <laughs> what is it that you hunger and, hunger and thirst after? Is it the stock market? Is it to watch that needle go up? <laughs> what are you hungering and thirsting after? Second one, who do you need to show mercy to? Chances are there's someone in your life that you can show mercy to. Just pick up a phone. Tell them that you forgive them. Tell them that that debt is canceled. And your third, where can you be a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fullness of it with so many examples that we can look at and learn from and live by. But Lord, this means nothing without you working in our hearts and minds. And I pray that as we conclude this service with communion, and worship that we would just allow you to work in our lives and to bring us to that point, Lord, where we are truly disciples of yours. Show us as we meditate on these Beatitudes where, where we need to work on and where we need to allow you to do that work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.